Hey guys, Arlen here. I just wanted to provide a little bit of context for what you're about to hear. So I just got back from a really just 24 hour trip up to Sequoia National Forest with three of my buddies. And what you're about to hear is basically we are sitting in hammocks about three miles into the wilderness, not at a campsite or anything. We just ventured out into the forest and found a stream to, um, to, to just sit around and, and sleep at night. And this is just a little bit of that vibe. You might like to listen to this just to relax or calm down or, or even fall asleep, or perhaps it inspires you to go out into nature and do something like this with some of your friends. And that's it, I hope you enjoy. And if you'd like to join my group on social dynamics and building your own social circle that you can do this kind of stuff with, then DM me the word tribe, T-R-I-B-E, on Instagram, at Arlen Moore. And I will add you to it. It's invite only. We discuss social circle building, relationships, dating, sex, all the above. So enjoy this little snippet here as we go into the forest. It's just raw. It's raw, R-A-W. It's cool how the sky's still blue, but the trees don't have any light on them so they're getting darker and darker this angle that we're at you know the color black doesn't exist in nature Kind of makes me want to just like get a girl, go out to maybe like Colorado, build a house, start a family, work on a business just from, yeah, seven kids, raise some cattle. That's what Jan was saying he wants to do. You want to do that too? Yeah. Should we start a community in, in Colorado and put a force field around it? use our own currency so that the government can't get to us. Well, we could call it Yan coin. You guys read Atlas Shrugged? <laughs> no. Really? Oh my God, you gotta read out. If you're looking for purpose. I know who Ayn Rand is. I Ayn Rand, yeah. Uh, I would, act, I mean, Atlas Shrugged is a lot. I don't know if you can really like sit down and read novels. Um, 
the Fountainhead is fantastic. I read it cover to cover, or yeah, cover to cover. Um, but Atlas Shrugged is just so vast. I watch the movies on YouTube. They have movies. And I think they're pretty well done. The only funny thing about them is that there's three films because it's such a long story. And each film was like maybe two or three years after each other. And they didn't get the same actors. So it's all different actors. Atlas Shrugged. So basically it's kind of takes place roughly modern day. Maybe, maybe like 1990, early 2000. There's this railroad line that's like really crucial to, you know, the, the whole economy and the whole, every, really every part of the, the economy because the railway is just, you know, it's a railway. <laughs> it's called Taggart Transcontinental and Dagny Taggart is the lead woman. She's kind of one of the stars of the book, protagonist. She basically runs it herself, but her brother is kind of like a crony, like he just like basically sucks off the government and will do whatever the government tells him. The government just gets increasingly controlling about regulations and basically gets really intimidated when a business starts to be too, um, like too much of a, a monopoly. So there's another guy named Reardon and he has like a ton of different companies, Reardon Steel, Reardon Metal, Reardon Coal. And then there's probably 10 or 15 other like really big businessmen. And what happens is slowly throughout the story, the people who basically make the economy run because they're the guys who started all the businesses, they start disappearing from society and no one knows what happened to them. And as the government regulations increase and these people disappear, basically what happens is the whole entire society starts to fall apart because it's as if like the people who actually get shit done are just, they're just disappearing. So like the, the railroad kind of gets screwed up and then the, the coal industry just, the, the leader of it just disappears. And so not to like ruin it, but there's this one guy named John Galt and he's kind of this mysterious character that people reference throughout the whole story, but no one knows if he's a real person or not. What? I'm slipping out of my hammer. I'm out of the hill. What? Is anyone following my story or am I just talking to myself? No, I'm, I was listening. I was oh. just laughing at myself. Oh. So Ayn Rand is massive on independent thought and, and like building and taking action. And the government, at least represented by Ayn Rand in this story, they don't think things through. So whenever they come to like a problem that they can't figure out, they just say, like it's a saying in the book, well, I don't know who is John Galt. Like they're like, well, who's gonna make the railroad run? And who's gonna, who's gonna like fix the, the coal industry? And they're like, I don't know who is John Galt. So it turns out John Galt is a real character and he's the person who's been basically extracting all of the smart people, independent thinkers from society and putting them in Colorado in in a hidden like highly advanced society where they use their own currency they just trade gold and uh, there's no like tax or anything it's just you work you have to work for every dollar you make there's no government handouts and so basically what he does is like little person by person he finds all the the highest producers and he takes them from society and uh, brings them to this like magical land no, he invites them. He doesn't force them. They want to go 
They want it. They, he basically, his pitch is like, hey, are you tired of the government trying to regulate everything you do and taking your money? Do you want to come to a land where there's no taxes and, and no, like, regulations on anything and you're free to just create whatever you want and you earn what you make? That's the cryptocurrency. You get away from government. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, Mark Cuban's favorite book. It's a lot of really, you know, high-performing people's favorite book. And there's three, there's three movies of one book. Yeah, yeah. The movies are great. I would watch them again. If you guys wanted to do a movie night or something at my house on the projector outside, we could do a little series. It's just, it's one of the most inspiring books out there just because it just shows people who they value like creation over everything. And it's just, it's cool. Um, it's in my bag. It's a good idea. All right, I'll go get it. Vertigo. Hitchcock. Have you seen it? It's about. Um, no. No, it's um. It is about John Ferguson. Um. And. He's a detective. The movie starts off with a chase scene. And he is basically chasing this guy on, on a rooftop. And there's another cop that he's working with and chasing this guy down on a rooftop. Really high action chase scene. And they jump from one roof to another. And he almost falls. And he's hanging by a gutter. And the, the other cop goes, give me your hand. Give me your hand. And then the cop falls over. And then... The, and then he just, the main character, like, sees him as he falls to his fate. And then it hit, screen goes black, intro, vertigo. So vertigo is, like, fear of heights, basically. Like, it makes you dizzy when you get high up. So then the story begins. He decided to retire after that because of his vertigo. He can't, like, and he's, he's older, too. He's, like, maybe in his 50s. And... He's retired, and basically a little while later in the story, this, his, one of his old friends from college comes to him and says, uh, you know, John, I need, I need your help. I need a friend's help. And he goes, what's going on? And he goes, 
if I really tell you this, you have to, you know, you have to understand I'm telling you this seriously and please don't laugh at me. He goes, sure, what is it? And he goes, my wife, something has taken over my wife. She just wanders off in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, and she just goes on these trances and, and goes on walks. And I don't know what she's doing. It's almost as if she's like possessed. And Ferguson's like, oh, come on. I'm not going back into detective work for a, a ghost story. And he's like, please, I need you. I need you. You're, you're my, the only person who will take this. You're a friend. Look at me. I'm not kidding. Something is happening to my wife. So he, um, he agrees to do the job. And as his detective work entails, he just basically has to follow her. And so he starts following her on her, her journeys. Her, she'll just take her car out and just drive places and get out and just wander. She just wanders and wanders. And then one day he sees her at the San Francisco Bridge and he's followed her all the way there and he's just watching her. And then she just jumps right into the bay. And he goes and he saves her. He pulls her out. She's coughing, brings her back to his apartment. And she, like, she's like passed out until he gets her back and she's, and then she wakes up in his bed and he had like changed her clothes for her, put her in pajamas and cause her other clothes were wet. And she's like, and she's obviously beautiful. She's, her name's Kim, Kim Novak. She's like a 1960s, like smoke show, like, like modern day Margot Robbie would be. Yeah. So she's just gorgeous. And, you know, there's obviously like a little bit of a love at first sight type vibe. Um, and so then what happens is he, um, you know, he, he calls his friend Gavin and Gavin Ellsworth is, is the guy's name he's working with, working for. And he goes, she tried to jump into the bay and he goes, oh my God, no way. And then some more of the plot thickens and you start to see like, she starts going to the cemetery and looking at this particular grave of her great, great grandmother, Carlotta Valdez. And she starts going to the art museums and looking at these portraits of her. And it turns out like Carlotta basically went mad, started going on trances and would like, and then eventually committed suicide. So they're all, they're both really worried about her because they're afraid she's trying to do the same thing. She's like, they think she's being possessed by her great, great grandmother's ghost. So he keeps following her. And then one day they go to um, this church and uh, she says like this, this is like a really important place. And by this time too, they'd like fallen in love and he's, he's in love with her and she's in love with him, but something's off. Like something's really weird. And they're like kissing and doing all that stuff. You know, those 60s movie kisses. And then they climb to the top of this church tower. She's like running. She's, she's trying to like get to the root of her trauma. And she says, she thinks like going to the top of this church tower will help, will help her. She keeps going, she keeps going, but then he gets vertigo. So he can't follow her. And he just looks through like the, like the window and just sees her fall to her death. She jumps out of the top. And then that's when you think the movie's over, but it's not, it's halfway. So 
he's like basically traumatized for a while by that because he's fallen in love with her. He went on this whole ghost hunt and then she's de- she's dead. And he still thinks she's alive somewhere. Like he just can't fathom it. So everywhere he goes, he thinks he sees her. Like, if he sees a a blonde, you know, pretty girl, he, like, thinks it's her. If he sees a girl wearing the same clothes she would wear, he thinks it's her. If he sees someone else, like, he's just always seeing her everywhere. Then one day, he goes to this um, flower shop, and he sees this woman working. And she looks eerily like him, but she has dark hair. Like her, but she has dark hair. And he basically, like, goes, excuse me, what's your name? She goes, my name's Judy. And the other girl's name was Madeline. And he's like, can I talk to you? And she goes what do you want? Like, she's just like, he's hitting on her or something. And he's like, I just need to talk to you. And she leaves. He follows her back to her apartment. He follows her up and, and then gets to the top floor and like opens the door. And he's like, please, I really need to talk to you. This is really important. And she's like, what's the matter, man? Like, what is it? And he's like, you just remind me of someone. And she realizes like, oh, it must like you, I look like your wife or something like that. And she's, she's dead. And you know, I remind you of her, basically. So gradually, he starts dressing her like Madeline. He he starts hanging out with her. He starts dressing her. He starts, he makes her dye her hair. And she's doing everything willingly, like, but she's really reluctant to do it. And do you want the ending? Okay. So then, um, gets to a point where he basically realizes what happened. Um, and because she had this necklace and she didn't get rid of the necklace. So then he, he, um, he basically brings her back to the church and like forces her to the church. And he's like, I know what happened. She's like, what do you mean? You know what happened? He's like, and he's like grabbing her and he brings her up to the top of the church and he beats his vertigo and basically what had happened is Ellsworth killed his wife. And he, like, originally, before the whole story started, he killed his wife and hired this woman, Judy, to play his wife, to look like her, and make Ferguson, um, like, you know, fall in love with her and construct this whole ghost story to then go to the top of the church tower because he knew he wouldn't be able to get to the top because he has vertigo. What actually happened at the top is he threw his dead wife's body over and Madeline was just at the top um, with him. And like, then they went down later. So, uh, so he figures that out and they're going up to the top, the top of the church tower now. And, you know, she... And he's like, why didn't you tell me, Judy? Why didn't you tell me? And she's like, I wish I could have, but I could. There was so much money. And, like, uh. and he's like, I loved you. I, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And they get to the top of the church. And he's like, I beat my vertigo. I did it. And then a nun from the church, like, moves into view. And it scares Judy. And she falls out of the church and dies. It's so, it's, it's one of the, it's known as, like, one of the top, 10 best movies ever made just it's just so it, it's so good um yeah it's in color it's amazing
Yes. The one where it's like the... It's, it's, it's rear window. Rear window, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, like, when I think of 60s films, I think of that. Yeah. The policeman, like, sitting in his apartment, looking at the binoculars. Yeah. Beautiful. Have you seen three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Uh, that's one of my favorite films. The one that was good like three years ago. Mm. So, so good. Um, it's like about this murder mystery. Yeah. Yeah, it's murder mystery, but it's like this middle-aged woman who's trying to get to the bottom of the death of her daughter. Her daughter was like raped and killed. And the local like small town America police force don't really investigate it. She hires three billboards outside the town, like massive billboards being like, Sheriff, Sheriff Watson, why are you not looking into this case? My daughter was killed and raped and no one's looking into it. Uh. It's all about her like pressuring the police department to look into the case and like her investigating it and it's like it's like really nice humour like yeah. dark comedy but also like serious topics really really nice very cool I love older movies yeah I, I struggle to get into a lot of them although like Rear Window that really did get me yeah and it's like I should try more It Rear Window is just so simple it's so beautiful I actually rewatched it about a month ago I took a class on Hitchcock. I was a film, film student in college. So, like, we would have to watch all these different movies. But I took an entire class on Hitchcock. So we had to watch pretty much all 52 of his films. The end of Rear Window is hilarious. Like, when they use, use the flash of the... Yeah. <laughs> 